0: Another episode of Downtime with the Cranston Public Library. We're a podcast for cool people who love libraries where we talk about what we've been reading, what we've been watching, and what we've been loving. I'm your host, Taylor, and the branch librarian at the Oakland Branch Library, and my pronouns are she, her.
1: I'm Scott Cummings. I'm the Associate State Director for the Nature Conservancy in Rhode Island. My pronouns are he, him.
2: I'm Kate Sales. I'm the Executive Director of the Rhode Island Land Trust Council, and my pronouns are she, her, hers.
0: So thank you both for joining me today. A little bit later in the show, we're going to talk about the work that you do to preserve natural open spaces here in Rhode Island. But before we get into that, let's start off as we always do with what have you been reading?
2: So yesterday I finished Happy-Go-Lucky by David Sedaris. Um, it is a new collection of his short stories, which his books tend to be, and um, Definitely, probably not one of my favorite David Sayers books. I I think I preferred Me um, Talk Pretty One Day or um, Dress Your Family in Corduroy and Denim over this book, but it was not so bad. It was pretty good, pretty funny still.
1: So full disclosure, I've got two kids under two, so I don't do a lot of, of reading of adult books, but uh, <laughs> I'll give you one of my favorite um, kids' books that I read a lot. Sure. <laughs> it's called House in the Night by Susan Swanson. And it's, um, just a really peaceful centering book that, uh, when your kids are bouncing off the wall, it's a great one to read and, and, and uh, center, center them back to reality.
0: Cool. That sounds awesome. Um, Kate, it was funny that you brought up uh, David Sedaris. I've never read him before, but it seems like the universe has like been pointing me towards reading him. I just keep hearing about it from different people in different places, maybe because his new book is out. So, you know, his work is on people's minds. And so I feel like maybe I got to I got to jump in.
2: Yeah, I get that. So I, I think he's also got a book tour coming up. Maybe he's coming to Providence. I'm not quite certain about that, but it feels like, that's, that's a thing that's happening. Um, it's sort of a departure from what I normally read, which is, like, true crime. Um, I think the thing that I read before um, that book was uh, I'll Be Gone in the Dark by Michelle McNamara, which is about the Golden State Killer. That's, like, more of what I read, read like, true crimey, a little creepy, scary stuff. And David Sedaris is just sort of light um, and not so serious or disturbing. You know, really, like, brings... It's a fresh air uh, grounding thing too, Scott. <laughs> like for sure, <laughs> little little on the on the airy side. So yeah,
0: read it. So I guess I'll talk about it in this section because it is on Google Books, even though it was originally produced as a radio show. But which is a British radio show called Cabin Pressure. Um, Benedict Cumberbatch is in it he plays the captain of this air well there's a whole joke that they aren't an airline because they're a one plane operation so if anything they're an air dot um, because you can't put one plane in a line Um, but it's very funny and I think it was something that Benedict Cumberbatch did before he really made it big with like Sherlock and now he's in now he's Doctor Strange in the Marvel movies but, yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's just him and, uh, oh, I totally blanked on who plays his, uh, his co-pilot. But he had, like, a super small role in Game of Thrones, which, of course, like everyone who was British <laughs> was on Game of Thrones. Um, Roger Alum, I think that's it. And, uh, and yeah, so it's just kind of, like, witty banter between them. And then there's... Uh, The woman who owns this airplane and this uh, Air Dot, as she puts it, and her son, who is uh, kind of the butt of the joke frequently. It's a lot of fun to listen to. And I was happy that I was able to find it on Google Books because I've wanted to be able to revisit it for a long time. But it was hard to find anywhere to listen to it in America Like it was, I listened to it the first time all on YouTube. And then I think like right after I finished everything that was out, YouTube was like, these videos infringe on copyright. We're taking them all down.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, So yeah, so that was really nice. And uh, I recently did a, we did a little weekend trip to Boston. So it was kind of nice to listen to something, even though we took a train and not a plane. um, It was kind of nice to listen to something about traveling while traveling. (laughs) Cool. So, a lot of fun if you like, uh, if you like kind of the British sense of humor and uh, witty banter and things like that. Which I guess, since this, since my uh recommendation was kind of transcending different media types, mm-hmm. I guess that takes us right into um, what have you been watching, Scott? You've been watching
2: anything?
1: Yeah, I, mean, I I just checked out the was it House of Dragon last night, the new Game of Thrones prequel. Uh, looking forward to seeing where that goes over the next you know i guess it's like 8 or 10 episodes so i've been really enjoying that and then just always right now it's cuz it's always on office is kind of just a great if you have a half hour you need to kill and want to laugh um can't go wrong with that or cringe depending on what which episode it is <laughs> <laughs> they're all
2: they're all like half and half <laughs>
1: exactly it's like like from an hr perspective like i I can't even watch
0: this why i never got into the office i watched like one episode at one point because it was like on cable at a weird time and i but i'm very susceptible to like secondhand embarrassment and cringe so maybe that's why i was like i don't get what people like about it but obviously if tons of people enjoy the office and if you do that uh like more power to you I'm not trying to yuck other people's yum but yeah I was like what do people like about this this is so awkward
1: <laughs> yeah I'm sort of a new convert my wife's a big office fan and and so I I like you cringed a lot towards it and uh <laughs> but then yeah, you know, she loves watching it and so I just started watching it like and started to get the humor and and sort of take a step away from the cringe and just like they're doing that because it's funny not because it's like you know making you want your skin want to crawl (laughs) it's not
2: true to life
1: yeah it's not true to life (laughs) and and some of it's very period some of it would not play as well currently in our society
2: and it doesn't seem like that long ago which is also wild because when was the last episode of the office it was a long time ago i
1: know Wild. That whole age thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't seem like
2: that long ago, but it was. <laughs> right. Uh, 2000 feels like yesterday. It was not. <laughs> uh, we've been re-watching a lot of Sopranos just because it's the same thing. Uh, we can put on any season, any episode, and just have that be on in the background at my house. So, yeah, I mean, uh, pretty classic. <laughs> pretty standard fare. Everyone's still super mad about the last episode. <laughs> <laughs> can't
1: go wrong with soprano I feel the same way about the wire both of those ah! kind of kind of parallel to me you know as far as you can flip them on and they're all just great tv i
2: have not watched the wire so i should definitely put that one on my list yeah
1: uh, like shakespeare and boston I and mean, not baltimore oh. really well done
2: oh yeah i watched a really uh Great document Great is a loose word. Uh the, the train wreck Woodstock ninety nine documentary last week. That was pretty entertaining. <laughs> yeah. I think that's on Netflix if you haven't caught that one yet.
1: I would agree it's a must watch. Yep.
0: Wait, so you're saying like Woodstock itself was a train wreck or the documentary was a
2: train wreck? Oh no, the documentary is <laughs> called train wreck oh, okay. Woodstock ninety-nine. And yes, Woodstock ninety nine was also a train wreck. <laughs> The documentary is pretty good. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah, this was like the 30th anniversary, and it and all that happened.
2: Yeah, uh, lots of fires and not enough water.
1: A lot of rage.
0: Yep. Yeah. Um. So, kind of circling back to the idea of uh, like offs or prequels. I just last night my boyfriend and I sat down and we watched the whole, which only six episodes, but um. If you've been a listener of the podcast since the first episode, you will remember that I talked about a Canadian comedy show called Leonard Kenny. Well, they made a spinoff featuring one of the side characters, which is also the title of the show, Shorzy. And we watched the whole six episodes last night and I was so sad that it was only six episodes. Like when it was over, I was like, wait, no, there's not more. Um, it it exceeded my expectations. I think it caught all of the great humor of the original show, while also making some characters that might not have, including the titular character, might not have been super likable in the original show, and really giving it an emotional center and i at one point while we were watching i was like oh this is making me like like shorzy and my boyfriend was like yeah i think that's the point you kind of you root for him and and his whole team it's all about hockey so even if you didn't watch letter kenny but you're a sports uh fan and you like sports centered tv you might enjoy it it's on hulu just like the original show um And yeah, it was great. And the original show was already starting the path of amazing native Canadian representation. And I think this, this spinoff just kept going with that and, and took it up even another notch. And I just want to know when there's going to be more.
2: Everyone keeps telling me to watch Leonard Kennedy. I have not myself done that yet. So good to it's know. good it's very beginning
0: in the first season if you don't like toilet humor you have to power through that but once you do it's it's really great it's just so funny so quotable snappy writing um and i they kind of i think perfectly uh like kind of a lot of the show is about making fun of different character like different characters making fun of each other but they uh they ride the line so well of it never feeling like punching down. Cool. It all feels that it's like in good nature and in good fun and everyone's on board with it. So not something I thought I was going to like, but my boyfriend was already a big fan of it. And uh, and I ended up really <coughs> enjoying it. Sounds
2: good. We we watch a lot of fail videos in my house. My partner <laughs> has a 15 and a 12, almost 13 year old. So, you know, those are also in heavy rotation. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: not always the best but most of the time fairly funny you watching blippy scott
1: the the one that i really enjoyed uh kids show wise we don't watch a lot of tv but is on and they're really short is called bluey it's an australian series and they're like 10 minute episodes or a little less about a family of dogs and their main character's name is bluey and uh it's they're always like doing fun stuff as a family and a lot of times outside just playing a lot of games and it's all about imagination and that's been been nice and it's nice that it's a short for younger kids it's a really short period of time
0: and we'll return to the show after a quick break looking for a movie to watch Canopy has over 30,000 feature films and documentaries for you to stream for free. Log in using your Cranston Library card and receive eight free play credits each month. That's eight movies every month that you can watch for free. You can watch the 2016 Academy Award winning film Moonlight, Taika Waititi's horror comedy What We Do in the Shadows, and many more films today with Canopy. Go to cranstonlibrary.org to find a link to sign into Canopy today unleash your inner child and join us at the auburn branch every friday at 4 p.m for color and calm there will be coloring books mandelas colored pencils and markers as well as herbal and decaf teas and soothing music no registration required decompress and head into the weekend refreshed for questions email auburn at cranstonlibrary.org So I want us to have enough time to talk about what you both came on to talk about. So Kate, do you want to start out talking about what the Rhode Island land trust does? Sure.
2: Um, so the Rhode Island land trust council is the coalition of over 45 land trusts in Rhode Island and the council supports that the supports all the work that the individual land trusts do on the ground, uh, promotes, um, responsible use and stewardship of lands across rhode island and we spend a lot of time advocating for sound land conservation policy at the state house so the rhode island land trust council ourselves we don't um own or conserve or protect land but we do support all of the land trusts that do that work including the nature conservancy which is rhode island's biggest land trust
1: and i would say we're a little bit more than a land trust but um we're the uh the nature conservancy is uh the world's largest conservation organization we're in 85 countries in all 50 states and our history is land-based but at this point we do a lot with restoration and um uh, all sorts of climate mitigation marine sanctuaries um you name it we're we're sort of if it's if it's moving the environmental needle we're involved in it um and so in rhode island we're 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 working throughout the state and working uh you know in the water and on the land to try to make it a place for everyone to enjoy and be accessible.
0: So, um this question is for both of you, uh what would you tell someone who asked, "Oh, why do we need land trusts? Why do we need conservation efforts?" Sure. um specifically even in rhode island maybe people feel like oh rhode island's green enough rhode island's varied enough in its climate that we're always going to have you know rural areas and suburban areas and urban areas why is it so important to uh to conserve that green space in rhode island
2: to answer the be getting part of your question um Land trusts are small community-based organizations for the most part. Um, 79% of most of all of our land trusts in Rhode Island are all volunteer um, working with willing landowners to protect and steward land for the public benefit. So yes, um, it's about protecting open spaces. It's prote- uh, about protecting recreation land, um, but also it extends to the what's in the public benefit, which are things like wildlife habitat and connectivity, protecting our drinking water um, carbon storage, sequestration, and and resiliency to climate change, um, providing healthy local food systems by conserving agricultural land. Um, every land use decision we make in Rhode Island is all connected. Um, and it's important to make sure that we provide healthy places for people to live um, and for animals to live and to make sure that we are not just making Decisions in a bubble, but making sure people have access to land, um, have access to open spaces for for public health and f- within for the public's benefit. Um, that's the most broad <laughs> way to phrase yeah. it. You want to hop in?
1: Yeah, I I, uh, I agree with everything you said, and and I I think it's you know the the vision is creating a place where people and nature thrive. And I've been working for the Nature Conservancy for over twenty five years, and. You know, I think we've really gotten to a point where we understand why we do what we do is so important to everyone. We used to be really focused on plants and animals and, and that sort of thing. And now we're we're really focused on the whole community and, you know, clean water, clean air, access to the shore, um, access to, to healthy food, uh, making sure that food remains plentiful Um in the you know in the face of climate change these are all things that we're working on day in and day out you know it's not your your parents land trust so to speak mm-hmm. and I would also say um why Rhode Island or why is Rhode Island important uh, I would say two things one the threat is tremendous you know we're we're sandwiched between New York and Boston and uh, there's a lot of developmental pressure there's a lot of change in use pressure and so we're trying to keep Rhode Island we're trying to keep some of the assets. That Rhode Island has, um, uh, around for the next generation, like we've all enjoyed. And then secondly, like a success point, you know, we've got when you go, when you take an airplane at night and you fly over Rhode Island, the, uh, the whole Western part of the state that connects with Connecticut called the borderlands. And it's dark. There's no lights, very few lights. And it's the only place like that left from Boston to Washington, DC. And something that there's been a lot of work to conserve. There's a lot more work to do, but it's something that is really unique in Rhode Island, and uh, something we should all be really um, happy exists for our for our citizens to experience and use.
2: And just yeah, I I agree with everything Scott said. <laughs> I think the, <laughs> I think the coolest part about. Um, The borderlands or what, you know, people think of Rhode Island as the ocean state. And, you know, you look at a tourist poster of our state or a commercial and you see the cliff walk and all the beautiful shoreline. Um, But over half of our state is forested. And those forests are really important to, you know, that western border of Rhode Island habitat connectivity and our water supplies. Truly, um, it's just really a remarkable ecosystem um, for both people and animals.
1: And really important to our economy too.
2: Yeah, huge. Yep. Both nature-based and forest-based economy. So Scott,
0: you talked a lot about climate change and that the work you do isn't the same as it was in the previous generation of conservation work. So how have you, both of you, seen your job change in the last 10 years in response to climate change? Or even I mean, the role your organization plays, even if your job specifically hasn't changed.
1: Yeah, um, I would say a lot of things have changed. Yeah, you know, we do a lot of the same things, and you know, we're still conserving land, we're still maintaining and monitoring and doing all that. But you know, the focus of climate change and the fact that you know Rhode Island has 400 miles of shoreline and there's a lot of vulnerability when it comes to climate-related uh, impact. Um, it's something that was always on the board 10 years ago, but now it's like top of mind. It's the first thing you wake up thinking of it. You, everything, you know, if if, if, if a thing you're doing is not directly uh, addressing climate change, it, it requires some thinking because it's such an overarching threat, you know, and, and soon, you know, so much of the research shows 2030 is a, is a real tipping point. And so there's a lot, you know, if we have eight years, there's a lot of work to be done. And so, um, sense of urgency is different, and you know certainly a lot more of the restoration work um, and mitigation work um, is different. But that being said, a lot of it's still the same it's still about relationships, it's still about communities it's still about folks working together to achieve a common goal.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with all of that. Um, I think that all of our um, on the ground land trusts have been doing the the good work of you know not just preserving land but making sure that it's stewarded and monitored. Um, so everyone thinks land trust that means the land's protected and we have trails and we can recreate. But protecting the land is generally the first step of the the process. Um, when we preserve land, we preserve it in perpetuity, and it requires yearly monitoring and it requires stewardship and making sure that those lands have plans um, to manage them and to make sure they're healthy uh, and safe. Um, One of the big things that we focus on with the Land Trust Council over the last few years with policy work is to make sure that the mechanisms that we have in place uh, in our state legislation um, are strong enough to ensure that those lands that are supposed to be conserved forever are actually conserved forever um, through how their easements are written or through how their municipalities hold those lands um, so that we've, we've been busy uh, on the ground making sure that that work's done as well. Um, so making sure all of those land trusts have the resources they need to be successful is probably where a, a lot of our focus goes to on the ground.
0: So what is your current big project that you're working on that you want people to know about?
2: Should I talk about what we've collaborated on, Scott? <laughs> Sure. (laughs) Um, So the cool part about the conservation world and the the work that we do with land trusts is that, uh, all this stuff is going on in the background where we are working together to try to leverage funds, to try to figure out unique ways to, um, work on projects together, um, leveraging funds between organizations or the work that we're doing on the ground. Uh, in 2020, um, I was working for a conservation district in in partnership with the Department of Environmental Management, uh, the Natural History Survey, uh, USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service, and a few other partners, including the Nature Conservancy, uh, on trying to figure out how to access funds for large-scale conservation projects in the forest on our western border of Rhode Island. Um, we received about $4 million to start putting towards those large-scale conservation projects, and the Nature Conservancy is providing uh, funding in kind by also conserving similar forest lands in Rhode Island. So overall, we're really hoping to conserve um, as a group um, somewhere between 1,500 and I think 2,000 acres across the state in our forested landscapes, and a lot of those are hopefully um, going to be conservation easements that are held either by a land trust or by uh, private landowners in the forest who are already doing good work. Um, so that's one really exciting project. It take, Everything takes a little while um, when you're working on something so big to put into place, but we're hoping to have all the pieces negotiated soon and some of that money out the door. Um, but it's one way we get to work together to try to sort some of that stuff out.
1: Yeah, I think that's right on. And there's so, there's there's a lot more work to be done. Yeah. Conservation-wise, and a lot more opportunity for sure. I think the other thing that we're we we've been putting a lot of time in is, is on the lands we own. The Nature Conservancy owns about fourteen thousand acres in Rhode Island. So I think we're other than the state, we're the largest landowner. How do we make sure our lands are accessible to everyone? Mm-hmm. How do we make sure that they're inviting, that they honor indigenous folks and atone for some of the misdeeds in the in the past? And so. I think we're also spending a lot of time sort of as a f- looking forward and looking backward. Those are the two kind of things yeah. we're working on
2: right now. And we've collaborated a little bit with the Nature Conservancy on that as well. Um, with Scott's co-worker, Sue Anderbois, we've been working with a coalition of other conservation organizations to talk about the access issues. Um, and how to make sure folks that live in cities who maybe don't have good transportation or maybe haven't traditionally been able to access state lands or land trust lands, or Nature Conservancy lands across the state have access to those lands, whether it means um, investigating the transportation issues or making sure that there are services at some of our parks and trails to make sure there's bathrooms and running water. Because if you have to take the bus several stops, um, it's a long trip to get out there. And we don't want to focus the work and the conversations on our organizations, which are traditionally what you're seeing, you know, lots of people who mean well, but, um, we are trying to make sure we are bringing the BIPOC community and voices that are not our own into the conversation so that we're centering our work in that, making sure it's being led by those communities. Um, so that's been pretty good so far as well.
0: Um, so you both talk about a big part of your mission being these lands being, uh, accessible. And so, um, the land trust site, if I'm remembering correctly, um, has a lot of great information about where you can go to Mm. enjoy uh, these land trust owned lands.
2: Yeah, you can check out the Explorer Eye website, which has um, two sections. There's the Blue Ways and the Green Ways sides of things. And the Green Ways lists most of the trails in Rhode Island with directions, with maps, with photographs, and reviews. Um, And the Blue Ways is the same thing if you want to get out on a river and go for a paddle, um, it's a really good way to do that. So check it out, Explore or ride. Um Scott, do you have anything
0: to add on your end?
1: Sure, yeah. We have yeah, we have about 100 miles of trails on our property, and, and about half of them are open to hunting, and there's some fishing access and that sort of thing too. You can go uh, on the Nature Conservancy website, nature.org, backslash Rhode Island, and there's plenty of information there.
0: All right, and we will include these links in the show notes so you can find them there. And so, when people are going to your trails and to use your land, what are what are the things that you want people to know to make your jobs easier?
2: Scott, you want to go first?
1: <laughs> <laughs> sure. I I don't know if it's about making our jobs easier or not, but you know what I what I want people to know is like just get out into nature and experience it and. You know there's there's so many different levels of that experience. there's you know health benefits from being out and breathing fresh air and stress relief there's just the joy of whether you like to run or walk or stroll or bird watch or look at plants or take pictures it's all there and there and it's it's all in our little state you know you can see a lot of different habitats really quickly you know and have an experience that you're you a lot of these places you might be the only one on the trail
2: Mm -hmm. and
1: uh that's a pretty amazing thing
2: absolutely even just sitting (laughs) just getting
1: another great way
2: yeah um i i i just want to add that uh i know i mentioned at the beginning of the show um that a lot of our land trusts in Rhode Island are all volunteer land trusts so you know when you are out on a trail try to figure out who who's managing that piece of property. And if it's an all volunteer land trust, maybe like throw, give them a call and see if they need help with volunteer projects or getting out there. Um, Maybe even consider making a small contribution to their organization. uh, Cause some of those little land trusts, they, they need even a little bit helps um, to make sure that their lands are um, and their trails are open to the public um, that they have good signage and that sort of thing. So uh, that's a big Big thing. I also want to mention that we also have another program called the Rhode Island Walks Challenge. Um, we have 33 uh, really cool sculptures that Greg Rebus from the Steel yard created a couple years ago, hung on trails throughout the state. Um, they have little QR codes, and you can go around, take selfies with them, and scan the QR codes in sort of like a Pokemon Go game. So if you're looking to go explore, new trails all throughout the state. This is a really cool and interesting way to do so. Um, So the RI Walks Challenge, you can look that up and it's directly linked off of our website. Um, So if you're looking for something to do, uh, check our social media out too. There's so many fun pictures of people tagging themselves and (laughs) taking pictures of these creatures.
0: Is there anything else either of you want our audience to know before we wrap up?
2: Um, I will say that a lot of the work that we do, um, we again, we we leverage funding. We work together in the background to figure out the best way to make things happen with the resources that we have. Um, I just want to plug uh, voting yes on three, the green bond this year. It includes five million dollars for land conservation projects, whether that be through the state or local open space programs. And those are the funds that we use to get projects done. And we are able to access those funds and and sometimes double how far those funds go uh, on land conservation projects. And there's all sorts of other good stuff in there, um, specifically around municipal resiliency and and the work that the Nature Conservancy is doing uh, in that realm.
1: Yeah. And I would just add to that, um, I agree with all that and definitely get out and vote. It's really important. And this is something that will benefit our current generation and for sure future generations that uh, will live in Rhode Island. I would also just say, um, I think in a time of um, that we're in right now where there's just things happen so quickly and people are so focused on running to the next thing and what is, what am I missing and all that, the chance to slow down and get out on these trails and and special spots in Rhode Island is really important, and while there's a lot of different land trusts that are working and and need to work, and it's it's sort of an all hands on deck situation. Ultimately, it's our land. It's everyone's. When you when it's owned by a land trust or a conservation organization, it's everyone's, and you can get out there and you can enjoy it. And um, I think it's in this day and age that's a really special and unique thing. And as Rhode Island changes, this is something that will will stay the same for forever, you know, and that's that's few and far between.
2: Yeah. I can I plug an event? Yeah. Um, so Land Trust Days starts on Friday. Land Trust Days is a two month celebration of all the awesome work that Land Trusts do uh, across the state. And so we host events um, both on a meetup group and on the Land Trust Days website. So you can Google Land Trust Days. will come right up. Rhode Island Land Trust Days. Um, our kickoff event is this Friday at Hale Farm in Warren, which is a really cool series of trails. There's salt marshes. There's a creature. Um, so there, I think, are over 30 events that are happening between August 26th and October 23rd all across the state. It's a really awesome way to get to know people in your community um, and to find and explore some of those new special places um, that we've been talking about today. So check Land Trust Days out.
0: Fantastic. So we wrap up the show with a segment I called the last chapter where we talk about a library or bookish related question. Um, so I thought I would ask you both uh, if you were asked for some type of reading challenge, or for some reason you were asked to read outside your comfort zone what genre or topic would you choose and why
2: probably sci-fi for me (laughs) like i wouldn't even i I don't think i would even know where to start (laughs) um knowing that i mostly read true crime or comedy stuff i think sci-fi would be a little do you have any recs
0: um i mean if you want like sci-fi that's funny so to not get too far outside your comfort zone there's always like hitchhiker's guide
2: um
1: you can't go wrong with hitchhiker's guide that's like the classic
2: we i definitely read that right after high school and that's a great book and i i don't know why i didn't like put that in the (laughs) sci-fi file (laughs) in my brain because it is
0: also i think like heavily comedic and self-aware of its genre and maybe even making fun of it a little bit so yeah (laughs) it's like a comedy book with a sci-fi jacket on
2: Okay, yeah. Absolutely. That's, accurate. that's
1: accurate. Yeah, for me, I would say it's probably, um, I love sci-fi and that sort of stuff, but for me, I'd probably say it's something like around the romance, novel It doesn't resonate with me. I guess I'm not a romantic at heart. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I guess mine is kind of the inverse of Kate's then because I, I don't really read a lot of true crime or anything. Um, I'm kind of... I don't think a book would bother me, but in general, I'm kind of a baby about, like, uh, you know, kind of, like, gruesome stuff. So I'm not sure if a book would bother me, but a book talking about, like, in detail about how someone murdered someone might make me feel like murderers are more of a problem than they probably realistically are.
2: Um, (laughs) You're not wrong. (laughs) However, I would... I would just interject that the books that I tend to like in that genre are not the books that focus on the murderer and the act itself. It's more about, like, the solving of the mystery or, like, the person that was, or the family that was affected. Those are way more interesting than, like, reading a horrible book about what happened. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. But still, either flavor of yeah. true crime is definitely not in my <laughs> wheelhouse, So, but I do love sci-fi and fantasy and stuff like that. I actually wish I'd read more sci-fi than I, like, when you said Rex, I just was like, oh, um, definitely love sci-fi, like, movies and shows. Um, so I feel like I really need to beef up the uh, the books that I've read. Um
2: Yes. You have any romance novel, Rex, for Scott? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean,
0: if you don't, I, that's something I also don't read a lot, but I've read <laughs> it slightly more being on a uh, award committee for teen books. So, I mean, if you don't mind YA, I really enjoyed uh, A Cuban Girl's Guide to Tea and Tomorrow. Uh, okay. Which I talked about on the show before. Um, so yeah, it was a it was a very lovely, cute story about this uh, girl who's Cuban American. She goes to England for the summer to kind of relax and recoup after some bad things had happened um, in her life, and uh, and meets a lovely British gentleman.
2: Oh.
1: <laughs>
2: there you go, Scott. <laughs> oh,
0: yeah. But we also had a whole romance novel episode with someone who is the romance novel aficionado. She reads it all the time. And yeah, she would be able to tell you whatever flavor of romance you wanted. She would have a book for it. So if you want to go back in our back catalog, Scott, or people who are listening for more romance novel recs, uh, I don't remember what episode number it is, but we could link the episode in the show notes. Um, so thank you both for joining me and thank you everyone for listening. If you'd like to tell us the, uh, the opposite of your comfort zone, the genre you don't jump into a lot, you can do that by emailing us at downtime at cranstonlibrary.org. And you can reach out to us via social media with the hashtag downtimecpl. If you're feeling generous, please rate and review on Apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, because it helps people find the show. Thank you again for listening, and this has been another episode of Downtime. Downtime is a project of the Cranston Public Library and is produced by Zach Berger, Nomi Hay, Robin Nizio, and me, Taylor Cardillo. Audio engineering by Dave Bartos. Our theme music is Day Trips by Ketza, and our ad music is Happy Ukulele by Scott Holmes. Links to the books and movies discussed can be found in the show notes. Remember to rate and review Downtime on Apple Podcasts. Connect with the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram with the hashtag DowntimeCPL. And if there's something you'd like to hear on the show, send an email to downtime at cranstonlibrary.org. Join us next week for more Downtime. Not conservatory. What am I saying? um conservancy
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's okay we do nature not music so <laughs> yeah the nature
0: conservancy